Okay, keep your eyes closed. Okay. I want to show you my first ever painting. Ooh, all right. Okay. Open your eyes. Oh, that's a lot of colors mm -hmm. <laughs> and shapes. So be honest. What do you think? Well, uh, I like how if you switch to Geico, you could save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. Oh, yeah, that's that's true. Yeah. Here, why don't I hold your paintbrush while you call them? Geico, because saving 15% or more on car insurance is always a great answer. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is author and poet Rebecca Pot Fitton. We will be discussing her beautiful poems from her recently released spiritual memoir, Wave Rider, A Poetic Journey from Abuse to Wholeness, and also how to use the power of feminist spirituality to heal, grow, and achieve happiness. Good morning, Rebecca. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Johnny. I'm just doing great. Wonderful. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Wave Rider, A Poetic Journey from Abuse to Wholeness is truly an inspirational read. Congratulations for finding the right words to express your journey. And thank you for sharing it with everyone. Uh, well, I thought it was important that people uh, have an example of um, success in the healing process. Wonderful, wonderful. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment since you have such a wonderful, beautiful lifetime in a way from a professional standpoint of view. I do want to have people understand how you have lived your life beautifully. Thank you. Um, I was a, a young child. I was one and a half years old when uh, my father left my mother and me, and she and I went to live uh, with my aunt and uncle and three cousins, and we lived there for uh, three years. And um, then my mother remarried, and uh, essentially I grew up in a classic middle-middle-class uh, white suburban family. Uh, we lived in Newark, Delaware, uh, and uh, later I had uh, a sister and a brother, and uh, during my growing up years, that's when I uh, started to have some uh, real emotional unhappiness and fears, and feeling as if I didn't belong, and that went with me into adulthood. I went on to college, uh, then I got a master's degree, and then I started working, had my first uh, job as in um, urban planning, and did that for about eight years, 
Then I went back to school for an MBA and did healthcare administration after that. So it was uh, it was a a rewarding professional uh, career, and um, then I got to retire early. So, um, and in my retirement, I worked on nonprofit boards. And I also began writing poetry in 2009. Um, and that brings you right up to Wave Rider. Fantastic. Wonderful. Wonderful. Why did you choose to pursue history as the foundation knowledge of your being? Well, his- history was my major uh, in college. And I chose it because I really liked it. Uh, it, this was back in the day when uh, a liberal arts education was expa- about um, critical thinking and expanding your awareness. And I liked history because of the cycles and the big pictures. I was never very good at dates or times uh, or people's names, but I I did appreciate um, the cycles and mm-hmm. knew that there was, you know, there's, um, there's an, a history behind everything that goes on today. So it gives you insight uh, as to what is happening in the present. The reason I ask that question is because when I was growing up, I loved history. Of course, as a child, I had the opportunity to learn geography and history, and I mm-hmm. love history because of the storytelling. And then, of course, when I got old enough, I realized that I enjoy history simply because it's real stories versus, say, fiction. It's nonfiction. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And so I really enjoyed that. I would used to think about, wow, if I'm back in those days and all those things are happening, and then again, reality sits in real quick because – I realized that I cannot forego the amenities of today. Yes, we're pretty lucky. (laughs) You did some work in terms of your graduate work. You did some graduate work in international relations, and you received a Master's of Arts in international relations. How does that influence your view of the world? Well, uh, I went uh, to graduate school in 1970, and at that time, um, which seems like ages and ages ago, um, my core belief was that we were an international world. Now, this was before cell phones or laptops or any of the cyber connections that everybody is enthralled with today. But I clearly knew that uh, there were, um, and probably from my appreciation of history, that Mm -hmm. there was going to be a major um, influence of other countries on us. And Mm -hmm. it was incumbent upon me to be a citizen of the world to know something about that. And uh, so um, I got a uh, scholarship 
to the University of Delaware, and I got my master's. You were living in a very interesting time at the time, simply because that was the beginning of the openness of Asia, and yeah. I believe it's in the mid-70s where the United States sent their first ambassador to China or yes. was able to establish yes. the first ambassadorship in China. Yes, through Nixon. Yes. And uh, it was an interesting time. It was, um, you know, certainly um, for me, my shaping started in the 60s um, and with the uh, – with the women's movement, the civil rights movement, uh, the Vietnam War, these mm-hmm. were all major social movements of the time that influenced everyone. And um, so your world got bigger rather than smaller. I think when you look back to that was where I would say the 70s and the early 80s, or certainly during the 70s, despite the war in Vietnam, the Truman Doctrine was really at its best in terms of America having its reach all over the world. Yeah, and there were, um, except for Southeast Asia, I Mm -hmm. think the uh, relationship between the United States and other countries was clearly uh, at its apex, um, and uh, when I was in Europe in 1969, when we put a man on the moon, and I will mm-hmm. tell you, everybody that I knew in Europe <laughs> watched that in the middle of right. the night. Right, um, right. So there was a lot of admiration. There was a lot of goodwill, uh, and. Um, you know, America had rebuilt Europe after the war, and we um, we had a very good reputation, mm-hmm. which we do not enjoy anymore. <laughs> I remember at that time, of course, I was just very young age in my life, but I have heard of my cousins and so forth encountering Peace Corps all over the place. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, President Kennedy started that program, and uh, Peace Corps workers were all over the world um, at really contributing to peace and helping communities everywhere, um, you know, find fresh water, build their communities, and um, from their indigenous perspective, rather than for us going in and telling them how to do things. Mm-hmm. So it, w- it was a very different time. During this time, obviously, there's a major movement here in the United States for women's rights and equalness and so forth in the workplace. And one of the things that you did, you had acquired an MBA. So why did you do that? Um, I did it um, if I worked for uh, a number of years in urban planning um, and I decided that while I was competent there that it probably didn't use my best skills 
And so I struck out to talk to people about um, different job opportunities. And at the time, I lived in Detroit. So I talked to people at the big three, and I talked to people in um, uh, businesses affiliated with the automobile industry. And what I found is that because I was a woman, I was not able to translate the skills that I had developed in my professional world to apply to their world. And so I decided that I needed credentials so that um, everybody could understand. So I went back for my MBA. Very interesting. And of course, during those times, you still have that very distinct separation where deals were made on the golf course. The guys are hanging out by oh, themselves absolutely. and so forth. <laughs> and, and, and that still happens today. Not to the extent as it was before. That's correct. When did spirituality come into your life? With all this busyness that you have, obviously you're pursuing a wonderful career, making a difference in the world. When did spirituality sort of knock on the door and said, hey, let's talk? Well, it was um, in the early 80s, and um, I had uh, joined a Unitarian Universalist church. And at that time... The woman's group in the church uh, was rewriting the hymnals and putting white out over gender-specific words and making them gender-neutral. And that was like a whole new awareness that... um, Uh, Spirit is not a he. Spirit can be a she. And um, that started my quest. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm still at it. You know, divinity is not necessarily male. And also my spiritual belief is that Divinity is within, not without. And so part of uh, this group and then other subsequent groups I was in, uh, you know, we read about the ancient goddesses. Um, Goddesses preceded the gods. Um, And in um, works like uh, The Chalice and the Blade, Um, you read about all of the artifacts that are found in Europe and in Crete um, and uh, in Greece, and they are all goddess figures. And um, there, in fact, was a goddess culture or matriarchal culture prior to the common era. And so 
um, blending that with what was going on at the present time in terms of equal opportunity and um, our our human rights. Um, it was a very enticing uh, journey for me. Um, even something as uh, standard as uh, King Arthur. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, at the time, there was uh, a novel that was re- uh, read in women's groups across the country called Mists of Avalon by um, Marion Zimmer Bradley. And it was uh, King Arthur's stories was told from the perspective of the women. They made a movie this out of that, really, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think they did. Um, yes. But this, at the time, was revolutionary. Mm-hmm. Um, and to think of ourselves as uh, of our having the power to tell the story. So um, the spirituality of uh, feminism is as much a part of the movement as is the political uh, power. Very interesting. At this point, when you were going through, as life is a journey in itself, you Mm -hmm. were also in the state of mind of curiosity in terms of wanting to find out about things that have happened in your life that sort of affected you in different ways that you don't have answers to. So when did the voyage of self-discovery lead you to the concept of feminist spirituality? I mean, of course, you mentioned it just now, but how does it contribute to the authentic you in recognizing and giving you the strength and saying that, hey, there's something more to this and I really want to find out about me? Well, I... um I had been uh, essentially absorbing everything I could read uh, about uh, feminist spirituality for about a decade. Mm -hmm. And um, during that time, my personal life was uh, unhappy. Mm -hmm. And it was when I was going through a divorce that I chose to get some psychotherapy help and um, because I was in this horrible state of fear and paralysis and I just knew that I needed Mm -hmm. some help and so I set off and uh, uh, it became uh, the beginning of, of a very long journey. <laughs> very interesting. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. I am Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest is Rebecca Potfitton. We are discussing her beautiful poems from her recently released spiritual memoir, Wave Rider, A Poetic Journey from Abuse to Wholeness, and also how to use the power of feminist spirituality to heal, grow, and achieve happiness. Rebecca, why did you decide to write Wave Rider? Um, 
actually that decision came at the very end of my process. Mm-hmm. Uh, most writers decide, I'm going to write a book, and they schedule time every day to write, and then some months, years later, they're finished. My process did not happen that way. Uh, I started to write poetry in 2009, and most of my poetry came to me in the middle of the night. So, and I had never written poetry before. I had always written, you know, professional documents and reports, mm-hmm. but I had not ever written creatively. And um, so I wrote when the poems came to me. And poetry worked for me. Um, as a genre because it's extremely succinct and uh, you don't have to worry too much about your grammar. And so first I wrote my poetry, and that took about five years. And then I put it away for a year. And then, um, and I'm not sure exactly when this was, I decided that I think my poetry tells my story and that it might be helpful for people who are suffering from uh, any kind of childhood trauma or adult trauma to be able to follow a journey of someone who has uh, successfully built her life. And so... I, first, I organized my poems, and I sent them off to a publisher who accepted my uh, poetry, and he suggested that I insert um, prose to tell mm-hmm. about my story, and that's how the book got four different sections. Um, and, uh, and then... In February, it was published. It wasn't, it wasn't intentional until the very end of the process. Very interesting. Obviously, it's very well laid out. I mean, you're talking about the early years and the point of in-between and so forth. Mm-hmm. And the concept of understanding and realizing that you have found the answers that you were looking for. Looking back in hindsight, you were actually living in the period of time where majority of your time, I would say, productive time, that is, during the times where you were working, you were working with a sort of a post-traumatic stress situation. Yes, yes. All of my adult life and probably an end into my chi- and my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I was originally diagnosed with depression and anxiety, and then later some... Um, there was some clarity about my post-traumatic stress disorder, which comes uh, from trauma. And um, so I read, you know, as uh, in order for me to understand something, I needed to read. So mm-hmm. I read voraciously um, about... Um, PTSD and other uh, mental health issues. 
And, you know, I was just a classic case. Very interesting. When did you develop the urge to seek the help of psychotherapy? Um, well, it was during my divorce. And um, that uh, I just felt that something was wrong with me. I didn't know what it was, um, but I just wanted to find out because I was in a lot of emotional and mental pain. A lot of people have sort of experienced the blame game. I mean, either you're the victim or the person who actually calls it off. Were there ever a blame game, so to speak? Well, um, you know, as you learn more about yourself in therapy, um, you know, I certainly had people that I would need to, you know, sort of process through, and and there was blame. Um, but if you go that route long enough, you mm-hmm. really realize that you're the only one who is responsible for you, right. and. Uh, so to, uh, it's not so much about blaming others. It's about understanding how the effect of others impacted your life and your decisions. And, um, that's how it worked for me. Basically you can't control situations. However, you can control the action or reaction to the situation, which means you have to take ownership of yourself. Right. Absolutely. Very interesting. Why did you use the metaphor of the wave? Uh, Again, uh, it was going backwards. Um, I had written the poem Wave Rider. Uh, a number of years before I had put the book together. And as I was putting the book together, I had some other titles for the book. But then I decided that my poem, Wave Rider, just is the the succinct uh, capturing of my life story. So that's why I named the book that. Very interesting. In reading your book, in reading Wave Rider itself, the poem, which I would love for you to read it later in the show, what comes to mind is the tenacity, the tenaciousness of the wave, unrelenting. (laughs) Right. And that's what came to mind, that one has to be persistent, tenacious, unrelenting. But at the same time, there's a certain amount of grace that goes with it in terms of the ability to, like you say, ride it. Right. You got it. (laughs) I'm looking at some of the beautiful poems that you've written. Can you please share with us the feelings behind the poem titled Breakdown, Breakthrough? And you're welcome to read the poem on the air. Uh, Well, let me read that first, and then we Mm -hmm. can talk about uh, the feelings. Breakdown, breakthrough. 
I observed my mind's breakdown, the start and stop of thoughts, the disconnection, the paralysis. The brokenness of my spirit manifested in my shallow breath and exhausted body. I have broken down for lifetimes, and my body has retained the memory of everything. Cycles repeated themselves, all the mistakes, poor choices, and clinging to delusion. My body was fatigued, and my spirit forfeited. I declared that I would heal myself. I threw it all into the fire and willed my breakthrough. I broke down everything I have ever known, transforming myself by compassion and courage. I honored my strength and intention and recognized the universal in my finite being. Breakthrough demanded individual responsibility, consciousness, and spirit. May these attributes hold the center for the new earth. Beautiful. Um, Actually, uh, the first stanza is about uh, the breakdown and how... um, how I experienced my post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, My uh, thoughts could be very disconnected. They could be frozen. Um, And uh, I knew that my body contained everything. You know, they contained my memories um and uh i went through periods of time of unusual fatigue and just you know hard getting up mm-hmm. and while you're in therapy you have a number of aha moments and the cycle continues but the second stand stands up really uh, was written at a point in time when I said I declared that I would heal myself. And um, that was when I uh, took a uh, energy healing class for three years uh, and it was at that time that I knew with, you know, all of the psychotherapy of others or the massage therapy of others that I was the one who had to heal myself. Nobody could do it for me. And um, it just happened one day. And so that shifted my journey. Very interesting. Respectfully, I chose that poem simply because it kind of summarizes the whole process in the sense that first it starts off to whereby where's the root of the issue? And then as you ride the wave, from my perspective, again, respectfully, of course, the root of the issue started at a very young age where I have no control, but somewhere along the line that 
control shifted to whereby I take ownership of where and what I want the future to look like. Yes. So that it's a very powerful poem because it does not only, perhaps in this case, it has a very personal meaning to you, but I think other people that read this book can relate to if one is open enough to understand that certain things in life may have occurred without you having control of the situation. But certainly somewhere along the line, once you acknowledge it and then the process of going forward, you have 100% control. Well, as much as we do. (laughs) Yes, yes, obviously, obviously. But the ownership has shifted, basically. That's what I mean. And I don't really believe that you can be that you can be healed mm-hmm. other than through within. Sure. You know, you must have that inside. Um in order you know, this isn't somebody, you know, that is this isn't about laying on of hands, coming from outside. Sure. This is about your own internal essence it's a conscious decision you have to make yes yeah and that's what i meant in terms of the ownership the paradigm of the ownership has shifted to whereby you are taking ownership and responsibility to move on yes how did you know that santa fe was the move you had to make um well, I had been in uh, Santa Fe two years before I moved, and it was uh, – I really liked the city because of the human scale, mm-hmm. and uh, I also appreciate cities with a real downtown and a center, and so when I came – to Santa Fe, um, I was thinking that I would just come and visit here. But then when I arrived um, the second time, I found this house, and it was like, I'm here. There wasn't any question. It just was, uh, I woke up in the morning, and I said, I'm moving. (laughs) <laughs> and six weeks later, I moved in. Wonderful. Yeah, it was. It just came to me. I knew it was true, and I made it happen. Let's go back in time a little bit. Obviously, one of the things that intrigued me in reading your book, like you say, you have those pros to set up all the different sections. Mm-hmm. And you were going through the process of psychotherapy, and that's when you found out what had happened to you at a very young age. Can you share that with us in terms of like what that feeling was like in terms like, oh, my gosh, this is what it's causing the blockage or obviously throwing all those obstacles along my way. How was that like? Uh, For me, it was devastating at first. Um, And uh, the issue was that I had been sexually abused by my uncle uh, from the ages of two through five. Uh, 
while my mother and I lived in their house. And uh, my given the fact that my mother was divorced and remarried and I had, uh, you know, other siblings that were much younger than I, um, I always felt a little sort of out of the loop. Mm-hmm. And so because my aunt and uncle, I felt so close to them, they were kind of the bedrock of even my, uh, in my adulthood, my uncle proofread my master's thesis for me. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were always my, my rock. And when I found out that it had been my uncle who had sexually abused me, and it was that that had caused all of this uncertainty and anxiety and depression, and I didn't know who I was, um, uh, I was just completely devastated because I had, I had written my story around my, my aunt and uncle of their always being there for me, and that was gone. And so what I had to do from that point on is to realize that I was writing my own story. And uh, it took me some time uh, to recover from that. Um, But you cannot... Um, you cannot find your truth unless you unre- uh, reveal it and integrate it into who you are. You know, forgive yourself, mm-hmm. forgive my uncle. You know, you have to do that work. Um, you just can't go along and say it doesn't matter because it does. It affected everything for me. And uh, uh, so once I found out my truth, then my job was to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that took some work. And But I am ever so grateful of being able to do that work and being able to uh, feel a sense of wholeness and authenticness that I, I have never witnessed before. You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. My guest is author and poet Rebecca Pitton. We're discussing her beautiful poems from her recently released spiritual memoir, Wave Rider. A Poetic Journey from Abuse to Wholeness, and also how to use the power of feminist spirituality to heal, grow, and achieve happiness. I'm your host, Johnny Tan. Rebecca, coming back to the psychotherapy, and one of the things that you disclose in your book is the fact that one had mentioned to you that, let's not go there. I don't think you want to go there. Right. And then obviously you made a decision that, no, I like to find out get to the root of the issue and so you did 
So let's talk a little yes. bit about that. Uh, well, I went uh, to a, a well-respected and, uh, psychotherapist that was recommended to me by a friend who was in the mental health uh, business. Uh, she was a social worker, and uh, she had so she had recommended this psychologist, and I worked with him for uh, five years. And uh, toward the end of my time with him, um, he made that statement um, that something, and he was referring to my speech because my speech uh, was very halted. And so he said to me, Something happened to you before you could speak. Um, And I don't know what that is, and you don't know what it is, but it it may be too horrific for you to find out. And I thought, well, that just doesn't even make any sense. But um, so off I went to another therapist Um, because my – the sexual abuse did happen prior to my gaining my full speaking voice. And so there would be um, much of my life when I would not be able to um, speak an entire sentence. So uh, it affected everything. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And then I found a therapist who specialized in trauma. Thank you for sharing that. That was wonderful. During the process, and it's of course, you went through the process of taking ownership, wanting to explore, and sort of taking the leap of faith, so to speak. You expressed this in one of your poems. So how difficult was it for you to teach your spirit to fly? You're welcome to read this beautiful poem titled, Teaching My Spirit to Fly. All right, I will read the poem first. Teaching My Spirit to Fly. I am standing on a cliff. I jump and disappear into the clouds. My wings spread and I fly effortlessly and joyfully. This dream is empowering, a dream of life that I create from the fire in my belly. You cannot be afraid or timid if you want to fly. Fearlessness and courage support your wings. Determination and tenacity stoke your spirit. Clarity of purpose hones your vision. No one can fly for you and no one can prevent you from flying. Flying is an inside job. Flying is a metaphor for living your life. When you teach your spirit to fly, you are free. It's a beautiful poem. Beautiful, beautiful poem. Um, I think that that is the equivalent of what was in the previous poem, Breakdown, Breakthrough. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I declared that I would heal myself. And that's the same spirit of freedom. 
and so that it is an inside job and that um, uh, and flying is just a metaphor Mm -hmm. but there is Mm -hmm. a sense of freedom there uh, a freedom to be yourself freedom to uh, know the direction you want to fly in and it's um, it gives you spaciousness mm-hmm. and that's why I like that poem well when you look back there's nothing there in the sense that you can go back or life goes in one direction forward and of course in this case in spirituality it's about taking the leap of faith right wonderful how do you define healing uh, healing is multidimensional uh, healing is about creating wholeness of body, mind, and spirit. And uh, also um, uh, and in that is also emotional healing. So that um, we can't heal just part of us. We just can't heal um, the physicalness or the physicality without healing whatever is behind that, you know, emotionally, mm-hmm. mentally, spiritually. So that's how I define healing. Very interesting. And what brought all this thing together is when you wrote Wave Rider, because that was the pivotal moment in your life that you sort of condensed everything down, and with these words, that sort of created the whole process for you. So please share with us the energy behind that poem, titled Wave Rider, and again, you're welcome to read the poem on the air. Wave Rider, I ride the crest of the wave of of the new earth. The waters of Gaia are her blood, and I taste her sacrament. I ride the wave of my own recreation, challenging my assumptions and beliefs of who I am. My rote behavior and automatic responses transform into reflection and new choices. My spirit knows freedom. I am not who I have been. I don't know who I will be other than the wave rider alive on the edge of the new earth. Um, I have always had a strong connection with the earth. It's Mm -hmm. part of feminist spirituality. And so for me, um, the spiritual journey, uh, it, has to be connected to the earth. There's there's just no other way I would be able to do that. You know, mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. the earth, the waves, um, you know, all the glories of nature. And um and so that's what I wrote about. Very interesting. So when did you truly experience wholeness in the journey? Uh again it's process um and 
Um, I think uh, my real wholeness happened when I decided that I needed to publish my poems. And that was just a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. When I decided that my story was powerful enough to help others, that's how I uh, defined my wholeness. So in writing Wave Rider, the book, that's how it impacted you in terms of the completeness of your finally felt like you have arrived to the wholeness you were seeking for yourself. Yes, yes. And now it's in a book, and now um, I'm ready for a new book. Fantastic. What would you like for the readers to gain from reading Wave Rider? Uh, I would like readers to gain uh, the realization that everyone is wounded Uh, that we are all on a journey, uh, that we can heal ourselves, and in fact the only thing we can do is heal ourselves, and that the journey is worth the effort. It is worth the struggle, and um, I could never have imagined how I feel today in mm-hmm. my prior life. You have to be brave. Yes. Very interesting. The book itself, when you read those poems, I know it came from the author who experienced sexual abuse, abandonment, neglect, and so forth. However, the poems in itself talks about a deeper experience of going through life. It's a storytelling poem in the sense that you have four parts. Not knowing what's going on, this is where I was at. There's a period of time where, okay, I need to find out because I need to know the history before I can move forward. Right. So that's the process. Then the third part, obviously, is the process itself, the discovery mode. And finally, Jubilation is a celebration of the fact that, oh my gosh, I have arrived to where I need to be, I'm in control, I'm at peace, and I can move forward. What's interesting is that throughout your life, the very essence of your foundation from an intellectual standpoint of view was tied to becoming fairly fluent with a bachelor's degree in history. Mm-hmm. So that's a wonderful foundation in itself to kind of amazingly help you to move forward with your life in terms of the thought process, because you're a very intelligent woman. The things that you've encountered, whether good or bad, you're processing it, and you're able to put the pieces together to help you be the authentic you, and at this stage in your life, you're living the authentic you. Yes, I am, and I am very grateful. Wonderful. Do you have any advice for people who are afraid of confronting the unknown? That is, discovering something happened to them at a very young age. Um, I would say that um, if you want to be happy, 
you need to heal and you need to begin your journey. And um, uh, it's essential for happiness. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid in terms of just go for it and let the road take you wherever it takes you. Well, I mean, there will be some frightening places, you know, Mm -hmm. because you'll find some things about yourself that you don't particularly like. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think that the, uh, you need to keep, uh, you need to keep at the process. Um, And that doesn't mean every day. And that doesn't mean every week. It means, over time, over your life, what we're here for is the journey. And so being conscious of that journey, however you want to live it. You have to have an end goal in mind. I think so. Um, I think that wanting to be authentic, mm-hmm. uh, wanting to be uh, centered and clear and uh happy i think those are wonderful goals wonderful where can someone go to get more information about you buy your book and keep up with your latest happenings uh well all of that is available on my website and that is www.rebeccapotfitten.com and um, I have a blog that I uh, write uh, right now. It's every other month. It used to be every mm-hmm. month. Um, and I'm also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, so your local bookstore uh, would be able to order my book uh, as well as uh, you're being able to find it on Amazon. Wonderful. And if anyone who would like to contact you, I guess, in a way to seek advice and so forth, they could do that through Facebook as well as your website, I presume, and you do get back with these individuals. Okay. Yes. Wonderful. By the way, we're coming close to the end of the hour. Since our show is about people, family, and living life, would you like to share a recipe for living with our listeners this morning? Uh, I sure would. Uh, My recipe for living life is to be responsible for who you are, to be courageous, to begin and continue your journey, and be determined to reveal your true essence, Uh, and to listen to your body for guideposts along the way. Uh, Our bodies are very wise, and they hold all of our secrets. Very interesting. That's a wonderful recipe for living. What's next for you? Uh, Actually, I am moving. That's what's next for me. Um, And I have finished my cycle here in Santa Fe, and I am moving uh, back east to Pennsylvania. Mm -hmm. And I will probably be starting a new book back there. Fantastic. Wonderful. That's a wonderful journey in the sense of you going through life and being able to actually change the physical places that you sort of a doing a pit stop, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Rebecca, thank you for the wonderful recipe for living and for spending this hour 
with me on From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me in two weeks, Tuesday morning, August the 8th. My guest will be Paul Selig. He is a former NYU faculty member and Goddard College trustee whose extraordinary abilities has been featured on ABC News Nightline, Fox News, and the Biography Channel series about the unexplained. Paul and I will be discussing his recently released The Book of Truth, which is the second book of the Mastery Trilogy series. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week. Rebecca, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again and have a blessed day. And to you, and it's been an honor. Thank you. Bye-bye. Once upon a time, there was a new crossover that refused to play by the rules. It flipped the script and made all the others look like fools. Featuring styling that's sexier by far and handles like a rock star. Introducing the first ever Toyota CHR. Enjoy agile handling in the body of a seductive crossover that comes with standard 18-inch alloy wheels. The first ever Toyota CHR. The perfect ride to spin your own tail. Toyota. Let's go places. Progressive presents Mindflowness with Flow. You are a mighty fortress of supreme knowledge. Progressive Direct has not only revealed their rates, but those of their competitors. If you were any more in the know, you would be drowning in, you know, the know. Compare Progressive Direct rates with competitors' rates, because knowledge is power. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy.